in this passage, Jesus is going to answer a huge question that you might have asked yourself before. What is our greatest calling? So let's stand together as we come before this scripture verse today. Again, that's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. I'll begin with us in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he'd answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What do you give to the one who seems to have everything? This is the kind of question that a lot of us would ask ourselves when we try to get our parents something for their birthday, right? And when I was a child, I naively thought I was amazing at doing this. In fact, I was notorious for making my parents portraits that I bring home from school that I really thought they would appreciate and love. And sometimes my works of art would make that prize place on the family refrigerator. Uh, But the reality was, more often than not, it just ended up in the recycling bin. (laughs) But regardless of where it went... I really thought I was giving my parents something they would appreciate, that they would love, that they would receive and cherish. But there was one year that I really messed up in this, I have to be honest with you. Uh, On my father's birthday one year, I thought, what better way to honor and love him is to add something from myself to what he already had. And if you know my dad, you know he's a huge Detroit Tigers baseball fan. And he actually owns this prized possession that really sums up his fandom. He has a baseball from the last time the Tigers actually won the World Series. And he had every single player that year sign this ball. Now I thought, what better way to appreciate my father as a 10-year-old is to take this ball and actually write my own name on it. Uh, (laughs) And as you can probably guess, my dad didn't feel very appreciated by that. And nor did he really feel loved or cared for. Uh, Even though I genuinely wanted to make a contribution to what my dad had, my efforts frankly ruined his perfect prize. Um, And I think if we're honest for a second, that's a lot of ways what we can feel like when we try to do good things for God. Maybe you remember a time in your life where you tried to love God well, and it felt like you did more damage than good. Maybe you feel like your gifts to him, your efforts, only seem to devalue what he has already done. 
I think we often struggle to define what loving our Creator even practically means. And sometimes we feel like when we attempt this, we're just a child riding on something that's already perfect. But this morning, I want to remind us that we are still called to love God even in our weakness. The reality is we are broken people who cannot pay back what was done on the cross. And this side of eternity, we're still going to struggle with sin. But the difference is, as believers, as people who have repented of sin, we understand we are called to love God. We are called to give back to Him. Not as a way to somehow earn His affection. Not as a way to somehow earn His love. But actually as a way to worship Him. To glorify Him. I want you all to remember throughout this sermon this morning, the Scripture truth. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So knowing that truth, realizing the Lord's love will never change for us, how can we respond in love? How can we faithfully obey our calling in life? Well, I think Jesus gives us a wonderful roadmap to follow in this passage today. And through this gospel in Mark, he actually shows us that we should love God firstly with our hearts, that we should love God secondly with our thoughts, and thirdly, we should love him with our actions. So let's begin this morning by looking at that first calling, that we should love God with our hearts. The religious leaders of Jesus' day certainly failed at honoring this call at times. We've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark that they didn't really seem to pursue God relationally. Instead, they were fixated on his law as a way to bolster their own self-image. They seemed to follow his commandments as a way to make them stand out from the crowd and to promote their self-righteousness. And this made their religion really legalistic. It made it transactional instead of being a relationship built and empowered by grace and mercy. So this issue naturally led them to come to Jesus and to ask him what he thought of the law. And in fact, we see how this plays out beginning in verse 28. If you join with me there, you actually see this scribe boldly come up to Jesus and ask him point blank, which commandment is the most important of all? By asking this certainly loaded question, the scribe wanted to reveal Jesus' priorities. He wanted to see what would Jesus would consider the most essential commandment, the law that everything else depended on. Essentially, what was the one commandment we should obey to because it empowers us to obey everything else? And so Jesus, wanting to respond to this question, actually cites from the Old Testament. He cites from Deuteronomy 6.4 by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this would have been a phrase that the scribe and the Pharisees and anyone else listening certainly would have recognized. Because this was a phrase that was a part of their Jewish statement of faith. A statement of faith they referred to as the Shema. And they would actually pray this statement of faith twice a day. So they would have completely understood where Jesus was drawing his knowledge from. So he then finishes by reading Deuteronomy 6.5 and saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. By reciting this verse to them, he wanted to remind the scribe and us that loving God has always been our top priority as humans. It has always been the foundation of the law itself. 
Now, we need to be clear. In saying this, Jesus is not trying to argue that we don't need to worry about being obedient. He's not saying we disregard all the commandments just for emotional love. He's also saying we shouldn't turn a blind eye to sin just for unity. But he is saying that we need to put the law in its proper perspective. He is saying that having love for God is the foundational commandment because it gives you the proper motivation to obey his word. All other laws in scripture flow out of this chief commandment because when you truly love Christ, you have that proper motivation to obey him. You understand you are obeying him to worship him. Friends, the law surely does not save us. But it does remind us that we are in a relationship with the God who is calling us to be his image bearers. Perhaps it will be useful for us to look back at the origins of the law. If you remember back in Exodus, God had actually redeemed and saved his people out of a really difficult situation. They had been slaves in Egypt for many years, and God initiated a loving relationship with them by delivering them out. God then carried forward this relationship by giving them ten commandments with the promise that he would be their God and that they would be his people. So Jesus or God initiated this loving relationship with his people. Then he asked them to continue on in this relationship by obeying what he has brought before them. But the point, the foundation, was always that love and always that mercy that God would show them when they fell short, when they messed up. Man was meant to obey his commandments to bring God glory. The problem was the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day weren't honoring that relationship. And Jesus really wanted them to reprioritize their affections off of themselves and back onto him. You see, the state of our heart matters more than the works we do in God's name. We should ask ourselves routinely, do I really love God first? Is he the ultimate object of my affections? Or do I tend to love my own self-image more than him? Do I love the praise and recognition of man over my Savior? And does the desire for success or the love of another person dominate my affections? In other words, if you look at the list of priorities in your life, where does God rank? If I lost my job today, if I lost my marriage today, if I lost my good reputation, would I still find a reason to rejoice in my Savior? Would I still rejoice because His love is everything for me? You see, it's good to love our friends and family. In fact, it's good to serve them, but they should not be the center of our devotion. God alone deserves all of us. He alone is worthy of our worship. His love defines who we are. And when everything else falls apart, that love for Christ can continue to push us forward in faithfulness. We all know the man Beethoven. He was a wonderful artist. But maybe you missed the fact that during his life, he actually started to lose his own hearing which for a man who performed music publicly, this could have been a death sentence for his career. In fact, we're, we know from history that he completely lost his hearing by age 45. But what was amazing about Beethoven was his love for his craft didn't let him quit. 
In fact, he produced some of his best work that we consider masterpieces today when he couldn't even hear a single note of it. Even though Beethoven would never hear the applause of the crowd that he performed in front of, he knew what he was doing was communicating beauty. And it wasn't something he wanted to quit doing. He didn't need the praise of man because love he had for the art was enough for him. And how much more should we carry on in faithfulness because our love for our Father is enough for us? When he holds that ultimate place in our hearts, we rejoice in following his word, even when it's difficult, even when others might shame us for our faith. We carry on because love for God is our proper motivation. It carries us forward when we receive no praise for our efforts. And it keeps us in hope even when everything falls away. So friends, how do you give God that proper place in your heart? Well, first, I think we need to give space and time to be with him. To make devotion time a top priority in our life and not just an afterthought. We need to realize that though Jesus loved us first, we are still called to pursue him. And all the while, we should remember this is not a transactional relationship. I'm not just saying I love God just so I can receive some type of grace. I love God because I understand he's the purpose of my life. He's the reason I was created. And he's the only one who can actually satisfy what I'm looking for. Jesus reminds us of that truth perfectly in John 10.10. When he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, friends, pursuing Jesus is worth it. He satisfies what we need. We need to believe that. We need to trust that in our hearts. I know we are easily distracted people in a world full of idols. So I want you to be encouraged just as much as I'm encouraged that God doesn't leave us alone in this pursuit of him, though. Jesus was clear that he was sending his Holy Spirit as our aid. And this Spirit is with us today. He does not leave us as lost orphans in the world, but he guides us every step of the way towards him. All we need to do is lean on that guidance. We need to be willing to say, God, I don't love you as I should in my heart at times. And I need your help to do this better. The Holy Spirit will help you submit to the Father. We need to invite him in and allow him to work through us. You see, giving God our full hearts will naturally lead us to meditate on his nature, bringing us to our second main point for today, that we should love God with our thoughts. Notice with me in verse 30, Jesus does not just stop at addressing the scribe's heart or his soul, but he also addresses the scribe's mind. He wanted the way the scribe thinks to actually bring God glory. Now, we should note that the Pharisees and scribes were actually the intellectual elite of their society. They would have had the whole entire Old Testament committed to memory, and they would have known Greek and Hebrew way better than any of us RTS students. But despite their giftedness, despite how much time they spent in God's word, they still struggled to honor him with their thoughts. Rather than reflecting on their need for God's mercy, they felt like they had the law perfectly figured out. And they would actually shame anyone who seemed to not figure out the law as well as they seemed to have done. 
What they failed to grasp is that they too felt devastatingly short of the holiness God requires of us. A holiness that they and us can only get through Christ Jesus. A holiness we can only have by putting our faith in Christ. We too need to be careful to not believe that we ever have obedience figured out. But we need to remind ourselves that we need Jesus' guidance every single day. That we need his wisdom to shape the way we think. That we need the good news of the gospel to form us and mold us and give us a new perspective on life. Notice, Jesus didn't try to just intellectually change the mind of the scribe. He wanted to remind him of what was true. So in his response, he just simply stated their statement of faith back to him. He wanted to show him that though he might have known a lot about God's word, he didn't mentally grasp the love that God displayed to him. He might have passively repeated the statement of faith every day, but he didn't allow it to impact him, to humble him as he considered his own sin. And friends, in the same way, we can be tempted to rush on ahead without properly considering the depth of God's love for us. We might rush on ahead without contemplating the ways he needs to move us from disobedience to obedience. I think our minds get so cluttered with to-do lists, demands, and anxieties of what's coming tomorrow that we don't really make space to consider just how much Jesus has shown us mercy, just how much his compassion matters to us. In our performance-based culture, I think it's vital we realize our worth is in Christ alone. Our worth is in our relationship with God. It is not based in how we compare to everyone else around us. We need to remember that in God's eyes, we are already enough. And there is nothing we can do to take away from Christ's work to save us. We need to hear Jesus' words from John 15, 9, where he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Just as the Holy Father compassionately cares for his Son, Jesus shows us that same intimate love, that same intimate love simply because we are his. I think as a student growing up who constantly felt this pressure to be perfect, to perform, I needed to hear that truth that I'm already enough in Jesus' eyes. And I know some of our students here today probably feel that same type of strain on their shoulders to do well enough in school, to get the perfect job, to have a career that everyone can see them as worthy because they have. And I know a lot of the parents probably feel that same pressure to be successful in their jobs, to supply enough for their family to prove themselves in a world that always asks us, what have you done lately? And perhaps this morning, you've come to worship with more anxiety over that pressure than joy. Maybe that anxiety has crippled your ability to feel loved and welcomed by your Heavenly Father. And if that is you today, I want you to know that Christ sees your worth. You are his precious sheep. And as the good shepherd, he would go miles and miles to bring you home. He looks at you and says, you are worth it. And I want to bring you home. I'm beside you. It's not about how great you are in the eyes of men. It's about how loved and worthy you are in my eyes of everything I've done to save you.
When you have faith, you don't need to have insecurity over whether God loves you. You don't have to worry if he accepts you. Why? Because you are united to his son by faith. Meaning that when the father looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees his son in us. That means Jesus' righteousness is our righteousness by faith. We don't need to come before him insecure because he lovingly embraces us. He says, I see my son in you. You are my child. You are with me. I want to love you. Instead, all we have to do is reflect on the love he has proven on that cross and the love he proves to us every day by showing us mercy and grace upon grace. Friends, I need to admit something embarrassing to you. I'm one of those people who always has to double-check a door after I lock it. In fact, when I go to bed at night, I actually frantically go through my whole house and make sure I didn't leave any door unlocked. Uh, I, my friend, or my roommate and friend, uh, also reminded me yesterday that I checked a lock on a door twice that I hadn't even opened in over four months. Uh, the reason why I embarrassingly do this all the time is that I have this anxiety in my mind or this uncertainty in my mind that I hadn't done enough to protect myself. It's that uncertainty that would get me up out of bed every single day. And I think as Christians, we can deal with that same type of anxious uncertainty in our minds and our thoughts over whether God really accepts us. We might have uncertainty over whether Christ's work was really enough to wash away my sin. We can even feel like the need we have to get up and double check if his love is still present, if it really will be enough to satisfy us. And when those moments of uncertainty arrive and our minds are plagued with worry, that's when we are called especially to go to God in prayer, to ask him to reveal to us his presence more and more to give us confidence in his provision that's from his spirit, to show us that his love is always here for us and it will continue to be present for all those who come to receive it. So in light of this, let's love God with our thoughts, first by acknowledging every day what he has done for us. Let's make it a priority to value his grace, his friendship over the praise of man. Secondly, let's consider the ways our thoughts don't honor our Savior well. And let's be willing to repent of those things. As believers, we really should take every thought captive and consider, does this bring glory to God? And then thirdly, let's bring those fears, let's bring those anxieties, and let's submit them to the Lord. Let's be willing to say to God, I don't have the answers for this hardship right now, and I really need your strength. Let's be honest with him enough to say, Lord, I'm afraid of what may come. I need you to remind me that you're here. And let's trust in the goodness of God enough to say, even if the worst does come, I know that you will be with me. I know that you will provide. God is the source of our peace, friends. Let's seek him in our thoughts just as much as we seek him in our hearts. See, God deserves our affections. He deserves the focus of our minds. But Jesus also made it clear we should love God with our actions, with our works. Which brings us to our third point for today, that we are called to actually love God through our actions, to love him through the way we live. 
And Jesus highlights that fact by telling the scribe to love God finally with all of his strength. Meaning, God wanted the scribe to consider, what does it mean to apply my strengths in a way that loves and gives glory to my Savior? And Jesus makes this abundantly clear in John 14, 15, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think we should take a moment to realize that despite everything the Pharisees got wrong, they were right about one thing. They were right that someone who loves God and believes in him should care about living obediently. He or she does not just honor God in word, they actually honor God in deed as well. And a true believer will bear fruit in their life as the Spirit works in and through them. Christians today should be known by their love. They should be known by being salt of the earth, meaning they stand out from the crowd. The way they love others is differently than those who don't know Jesus. Friends, we must be careful to not have only a head knowledge of Scripture without really allowing that Scripture to change us or to shape us. The Pharisees' love for God was shadowed or overshadowed by their desire to be praised by men. Instead of really honoring God in the way they loved, they only honored God in the ways that would bring them righteousness themselves. And we actually see they cared more about keeping the Sabbath than letting Jesus heal the sick and hurting in his community. They didn't allow real love to be shown because they wanted glory to be brought to themselves. That is why Jesus refers to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. Because they might have done things on the outside that seemed righteous and good, but their affections were far from God. On the inside, they seemed to be spiritually rotting away. And I think that should be a clear warning to us, that we need to be filled up by Jesus' compassion first before we try to love people in his name. Friends, our faith is not moralism, where we just do good things to have a good life. No, our faith is a living relationship where God continues to teach us how we ought to die to ourselves by pointing to the compassionate love of his son. Pouring out love that we first receive from Christ is how we can honor the Lord well in serving others. The only way we're really able to show true sacrificial love is by seeing that in Jesus and allowing it to fill our hearts. And thankfully, I think the scribe realizes Jesus' point. If you join with me in verse 32, he actually proclaims that loving God is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. By saying this, the scribe was beginning to understand that God cares more about the love behind his actions than the quantity of his work. And if you need further assurance of that, Paul actually agrees with what Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 13. When he says, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, we can do great things for the kingdom, but if our hearts are not oriented towards God, we're missing the whole point. Good works must be done because we have a love that we've already received from God. And we want to glorify him through those works. And we actually want to bring others to his love through the way we work. We must do kingdom work for the right reasons. I think one of my favorite movies actually drives home this point really well. 
If you've ever seen the film Moneyball, you might remember it tells the real-life story of general manager Billy Bean, who was the general manager of the Oakland Athletic Baseball team. And if you remember anything about him, he actually led this bottom feeder program to actually almost breaking the longest winning streak in Major League Baseball history. And because of that historic season, he was actually approached by the owner of the Mets in 2006, who offered Billy a four-year, $12 million contract. This would have made Billy the highest-paid baseball manager in history. Of course, it would have been way less in our day and age with inflation, but at the time, it was really great. Um, But shockingly, Billy turned down this offer. And when asked why, he gave a really good reason. He said, if I had taken this job, I would have forced my children and my family to leave the place they grew up, to leave the place they were flourishing and doing well. If I had taken this job, I would have been doing it for the glory and the money over what was best for my family. You see, Billy wanted to work for the right reasons, out of love to those who supported him from the beginning. And we too need to realize that our work should be done for that ultimate right reason, to glorify the Redeemer who has been there for us since the beginning, to glorify the one who sacrificed everything to save us and to bless us and to care for us. I want to remind you guys, if you have faith in Jesus this morning, you are not your own, but you belong to Christ. That's everything we do in work, in sleep, in rest, and in friendship, we do for Christ. All of our efforts are done for his glory and not our own. So friends, we need to fully realize that righteous work should be an aspect of our lives as a way to love God. But we should push against ideas of legalism. We should argue against those who try to say salvation comes from works. But at the same time, we do need to honor the fact that God calls us to obedience to live out love through that obedience. That's the way we can worship God. That's the way we can bring him glory over ourselves. The beautiful thing is, even though our works will pale in comparison to Christ's, even though we fall devastatingly short of the calling God is urging us to at times, hear that Jesus still makes us acceptable to the Father. He sanctifies our work and actually makes it pleasing to God. Understand, Christ died for your personal sin of not loving God well. Furthermore, Jesus himself loved his Father with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength, so that when we receive Christ by faith, he clothes us in that pure righteous love that Jesus lived out perfectly on our behalf. Only when we humbly receive that love on a regular basis Can we be transformed into men and women who can actually love sacrificially, who can actually love our enemy and work sacrificially for the glory of our Father? Friends, that is why Scripture says faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains because Christ can move through our weaknesses to accomplish great work. So if you feel like you've been distant from God lately, if you feel like you've been keeping your heart in your mind on other things than him. Know this morning that he is welcoming you back, that he will lovingly embrace you on your return, 
and that he is overjoyed when any of us bring our souls back to its proper home. So let's come this morning knowing the work we are called to do and having faith that God will live out that work in each of us. Amen. Join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a Lord who needed us, who, who created us out of love and who knew that we have a need for you, O oh Lord. Thank you, O oh God, that you have given us your spirit, your greatest aid, who leads us in doing your work in your name. I pray this morning that we would lean upon you, that you would be the first of our affections, that you would be what we put our minds to, and that you would help all of us to serve others in your name, to bring you glory. But Lord, help us know that your grace is new every morning for when we fall short. Thank you, Christ, for giving your full self for us. You didn't have to. You didn't need to. But you chose to die for us. And so, Lord, we praise you and we worship you for that fact. In Jesus' name, amen.